0: Welcome to What's Your Beef. Each week we will introduce you to people working in the beef industry and some of the characters that help deliver the iconic event that is Beef Australia. Hello, I'm Jane Cuddahy and this is What's Your Beef. Today we're speaking to Lydia Inglis. She is a leading hand on Yari Station in the Pilbara and a member of the Next Gen Committee for Beef Australia's Beef Week. How are you, Lydia?
1: I'm great, thank you.
0: Excellent. Now, we can tell by your accent that you're not originally from the Pilbara. In fact, you're a long way from home. Where where have you come from and how did you end up over in the Pilbara?
1: I am from central Otago in New Zealand. Um, and I've actually been in WA for over over five years now. Um, so I, it is I home. Know, <laughs> might as well be. <laughs> um, so I, I actually moved over to WA and I worked at a university down in Perth. Um, and I was focusing on, um, well, it was merino sheep research. Um, so I was down there for three years, and I was just—I've always wanted to work in, with cattle up in the up in the Pilbara, um, and I just—I basically just got onto the right people, and I got onto some amazing contacts, and they led me straight to Annabelle at Yary Station, and <laughs> I haven't left. <laughs>
0: so, what was the appeal about the Pilbara?
1: Well, I guess it's there is something really bespoke about it, and I'd I'd always wanted to experience it. Um, and, and my dad had actually done some bull catching in the Pilbara back in the 70s and he just had these crazy stories and it's, you know, uh, you just hear so much about the the northern part of Australia. So I was just, I was really just curious, chomping at the bit yeah. to get there. <laughs> so,
0: and was it as you expected? Or, you know, did your dad's stories still ring true or it, were you a bit disappointed? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I was definitely prepared for it to not be what he had, but the way that he spoke about the landscape and and just the general energy of the place is pretty amazing. And, and honestly, as soon as as soon as I stepped foot onto that red dirt out there, I was like, yeah, I'll, I'm going to be here for a while. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now you've mentioned Annabelle and and Yari. Um, there's some pretty exciting innovations happening out there. Can you tell us a bit about your role
1: at Yari? Yeah, so I've got a a, research, a science research background, um, and I've I've done my honours in animal science, um, and I've d- had a lot to do with like data collection. So when Annabelle was looking for a station hand, she was also looking for somebody to help her with all of her cattle records. Um, so Annabelle is definitely on the forefront when it comes to um, record like data recording. You know, you can't you can't manage what you don't measure. So um, I came on board to assist her with that and it's basically just led from one thing to another and we've just we've really um, tried to improve our recording systems and, and from there we've been able to take part in, in a few trials and yeah, so it basically just started from there and, and so now my role is um, I basically specialise in, in livestock recording systems um, welfare system, social licensing and, and advanced animal husbandry and just basically just making sure that things get done well, they get done properly um, and it's all for the benefit of the animal, for the people, for the land. Um, yeah, so it's just like a second set of eyes for Annabelle.
0: And what kind of scale are we talking at Yeri?
1: So Yeri okay. itself is um, 250,000 hectares. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've just recently got a lease on another property nearby, and it's 190,000 hectares.
0: Goodness, that's a that's <laughs> a lot that's of fences good. to run, isn't it? <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah.
0: So that's basically doubled your production area. How
1: what's that mm. transition
0: been like to, to sort of build up to that size in a short amount of time?
1: Yeah. So when I first got here, it was just dairy itself. Um, and we had, oh, I think there was like maybe four or five of us main station hands. There was definitely, um, I think there was probably like eight core crew members. Um, and we did everything step by step. And there was like, there was nothing that was missed and we couldn't do two things at once. Um, so we definitely learned um, the systems of the place and, and how things ran. And then at the end of my first season, that's when we got the lease on the other property and we started to increase um, stock numbers and and therefore increase the number of people that are being employed. Um, so this year, uh, yeah, our, our core team member is a, um, number is at about 16. So it's pretty crazy, um, you know. We've, we've well, that's just got a whole to- new skill
0: set, isn't it? You know, you, you know what you're doing in the paddock and in the yards, but then when you're dealing with big bigger staffs and more personalities, that's a different skill set yeah. again.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah,
0: so how have you all taken to, to to managing all these different changes at once?
1: Annabelle's been really good at um, being selective about who she employs. She really thinks hard about how they are going to fit in with the life of Yari. Mm-hmm. Um, and when when people first come here, we make it really clear that we've got values that we actually live by here. And what are they? Um, what are they? You- I-
0: what kind of values? So the,
1: the values of the business, the two main things would be respect and accountability. Mm-hmm. So it's just being respectful to others, to the cattle, to the land, to gear, mm-hmm. and just being accountable for your actions mm-hmm. and, and, and not blaming others. and. And if you do do something wrong, don't sulk. You know, it's just these little <laughs> things like,
0: <laughs> you know. I feel just, like you're just, supposed I, to learn that in kindergarten, but it's really yeah. amazing how long people <laughs> carry that particular trait. Oh,
1: it's, you know, it's amazing really. Um, so we've basically, we we have these, we have ways of doing things, um, but it's not like a, you know, it's definitely not a culture of don't be yourself. It's be yourself, but follow the follow the values of the business. And we just make that really clear from the start. And we have um, a lot of kind of problem solving um, structures in place as well. So if somebody's got a problem, we if we say right from the start, if anyone's got a problem, this, these are the steps that you can go through. So there's a lot of, um, yeah, there's been a lot of time and effort put into making sure that we've got a safe environment for people to raise problems if they've got them. Um, and, Basically, just yeah, keep the communication lines open, and and that's basically the the dream work of of having a well-run team.
0: Yeah, and I guess you know, there's a few females in the mix at the the top end there, so maybe communication is one <laughs> of um is one of the priorities. It's not very surprising. Now, <laughs> yeah. um, when um, when we talk about you know, there's a transition there with scale and that sort of thing, but Yari's really. Taken on an innovative approach to marketing of beef,
1: can you tell us yeah.
0: about that paddock to plate um, Outback beef brand?
1: Yeah, so th- this has been a long term vision of of Annabelle's. Um, basically, if from as long as she can remember, she has always wanted to be able to provide our Pilbara beef to others, um, because it, by without. I, I know I sound very biased, but it is absolutely delicious beef. <laughs> well,
0: it's your job too. Um, it's fair. That, that's yeah. fair. I mean,
1: you go. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but it's it's been a really long term vision of hers to be able to actually get locals to eat local beef.
0: And why why is it why do people not? Is it just because of the scale of these properties? You're generally sending everything on boats and to, to meat works, and it just yeah people don't know don't can't don't send it to the local butcher. Is that generally why?
1: Yeah. So. With with the properties on this scale and yeah. and the the appeal of the export markets, it's definitely easy to put all your eggs in one basket and, and just know that you you can just send a lot of cattle away and and get that return. Mm-hmm. But Annabelle has been really big on making sure she's got a diverse market so that you know if one one part of the market falls, she's got something else to go mm-hmm. back onto. So at the moment, our you know we've our beef supply—it's basically going fifty percent domestic, fifty percent export.
0: Hmm. And locally domestic, or um, sort of Australia-wide, what? How domestic? domestic? Yeah, like a, yeah,
1: if, it's space as far as I know. It's we've got we're working our way up to our outback beef. So that's like our branded beef. We're still at a small percent at the moment, but we're trying to work it up to twenty-five yep. percent. And then we've got a contract with BHP. And um, so that takes up well, a fair bit of our domestic market um, so that we're actually supplying Pilbara beef to, to Pilbara camps, Pilbara mine camps. Wow, yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's pretty amazing. You think about how many head of cattle are, are up in this region and are probably eating beef from over east. Yeah, exactly. so it's,
0: it seems quite logical when you put it out like that, doesn't it? But yeah. it, it has taken this yeah. long to get to get it up and yeah. going. Now I exactly. want to talk about the outback of beef because you know online shopping generally people automatically swing to, you know, shoes and um, gifts <laughs> and that sort of thing. But that's the whole premise of the beef brand, isn't it?
1: Yeah. So it's it's only just been recent that we've been able to get it online. So we were trying to we we were selling it locally in um our nearest town in Port Hedland and people were buying it but it was um it was we were kind of just having it was hard to store it in certain places and um there just wasn't a huge like people were big on it and then it just started to fade out mm-hmm. then we so the novelty were thinking, it was a
0: novelty thing then
1: well i think it was just the convenience side of things because they'd have to go to a certain place to buy the beef and it wasn't easy, like, at the supermarket Ah, and they could just grab it. Mm -hmm. So Annabelle, being the diverse thinker that she is, she was really trying to think of ways that would appeal to people and we've been able to work it up to being able to sell it online Mm -hmm. Um, because we, you know, we can buy vegetables online and get them delivered to our door. Why can't we do that with beef? Mm. So that's basically how it came about, and yeah, just very recently, it's it's all come, it's all started to happen, and it's pretty amazing, and it's interesting with um with all of this pandemic stuff yes. that's been going on. There's been a, an increased demand of, of locally produced beef. Yeah, oh, which that is was great. my
0: next question. That is terrific. So people really <laughs> are getting behind it. What are the logistics like? You know, that you're on a fairly remote remote location. Um, Mm-hmm. And I would say a lot of the um, processing for this particular market would have to be, you'd have to do it quite close, wouldn't
1: you? Well, what we actually do is we, so we've got a, um, we've got like a, a backgrounding or a finishing farm down, down south. It's about, uh, about 1,800 kilometres south of here, mm-hmm. close to Perth. Yeah. Um, so we basically, we send cattle down there um, to, Sometimes they just, they go to put on a bit more weight or they just literally go there to rest before we send them off to an abattoir. Mm -hmm. So then they, so they go down to the farm down there, rest, and then they get trucked to an abattoir Mm -hmm. and then they get um, slaughtered there. Then they go to a processing um, facility. So then it gets packaged and everything there. Mm -hmm. And then it gets sent back up. So. There's there's a lot of kilometres that have gone on behind the the beef that you get. Um, You know, it would be amazing to, you know, down in the further down the track, it would be amazing to have something local. um, But it's just not there at the moment. To
0: take yeah to to bring the food miles down a bit, but you know, it's a work work in progress. Yeah, that's it. We're here to talk beef Australia. It's coming up. I understand it's your first. um, It'll be your first beef event though you have taken on a committee position with the Next Gen. So how did you get roped into to that particular volunteer role? <laughs>
1: um, yeah, well, it didn't take much convincing, that's for sure. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, so um, Shannon Landmark, that's that's chairing it, we, she was actually – I first started talking to her when we um, started running a heifer trial on Yerry, and it was through University of Queensland, um, and – we yeah basically we just did the first round of that and we kind of left it there and then I went to catch up with Shannon about certain, um, results of that um, and she, and then she was actually approached me and said oh look there's this um, next gen committee happening and we were thinking about um, we were wondering if you were interested um, but she's she'd also been speaking with someone else that's on the committee as well and. I'd actually applied for the um, the Zander McDonald Award last year, but I didn't get it. Um, and but I, I asked for some feedback, and I um, they were amazing. You know, they still really were keen to help me and got me onto other contacts, and it was incredible. Anyway, so one of the one of the ladies that I was speaking to that was giving me some feedback, she's on the next gen committee too. So. Mm. Between So I had kind of two separate contacts. So between between those two, they were, made the connection that they knew me and approached me and I just jumped in and I was like, yes, please, I'd love to be a part of it.
0: The power of networking, really? Yeah.
1: <laughs> and yeah. it's amazing
0: <laughs> how small rural Australia
1: is at the yeah, end of the day. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Uh,
0: so what are you looking forward to? Everybody says the social side of things and we, uh, <laughs> we can completely con- uh, concur with that? Yeah. Yeah. But with through the next gen committee, you must be aware of some of the projects and the programs that you guys yeah. are focusing on. So what what should people be looking forward to from from the next gen?
1: Oh, there's we've got some really incredible speakers coming in and and because there is the focus on the next generation, um, we're really kind of thinking laterally about Rather than going, oh, this is all the new technology, you know, get amongst it. There's kind of like another take on it. So they're they're getting some speakers in to, um, to really talk about, you know, what it takes to be involved in this this industry. You know, what are what are our next challenges going to be? So, um, you know, preparing our next generation for the next cha- next lot of challenges. So, I th- the speakers that are coming on board for that are going to be incredible, and I'm really excited to hear from them. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. well it would be kind of weird if you weren't. But, um, <laughs> you know, you're part of a pretty dynamic and young team by the sounds of it and involved mm. in the next gen. How do you see the, the future of the beef industry playing out? We hear a lot about how our graziers are tipping the, the far end of the age scale, but how do you see things, especially as someone who hasn't grown up? In the Australian beef industry.
1: Yeah, that's that's a really good question, and I mean, there's a million different ways to to answer it. Um, you can I just think...
0: pick one. Don't feel like you have to say
1: <laughs> all of them. Um, I I think it's it's easy to kind of get caught up in the doom and gloom of certain things. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of promise to come, I think, and. The way that we are able to use, like, and the way that we can actually incorporate technology into the business is incredible. But I think that people are going to really gain. We've kind of lost, you know. There was. A, you know let's say about 25 years ago there was actually still quite a strong connection between like the town people and the and the country people and we've kind of gone away from that I've, I really think we're going to come back to it mm-hmm. people are really going to understand the importance of farmers um and pastoralists and um and I, I think there's kind of going to be that turnaround especially after this this whole COVID stuff it's um it's been really interesting just like how it's opened up some, you know, opened the eyes of of others and just realising we're not as bad as we're kind of made out to be. Well, I think um, it's starting
0: the conversations too. I think we yeah. are slowly yeah. getting better at telling the good stories and telling, you know, what's yeah. actually happening. And I think, you yeah. know, what, part of what you work, at, work with in Yari is um, the Welfare Quality Assurance Program, isn't yep. it? Just tell us a little bit about that because I think you know if you're starting to do these niche branding and you know we're talking about conversations with our consumers, how does that all tie together? And and that why is it so important that producers are starting to to take on these kind of programs?
1: This this kind of goes with yeah. If we are really transparent about what we do, you know, this is going to help um, consumers trust you know where their food comes from. But I think we, we need a way to like we've all got to have a way of, of checking ourselves, basically. Like we you know, it's easy to just go about things and go, yep, yeah, this is all good. But every now and then we just we need to check ourselves. And I think that when you've got a something on paper to or you know, or it doesn't have to be on paper, just even if it's just in your mind someone has said something to you of just some key checkpoints, and you've just got to ask yourself like am I doing this the best way that I can? And if I'm not, then why not? And we, I just don't think we've got much room for error when it comes to this welfare side of things. As our knowledge increases, as the technology um, advances, I think this is just a natural thing to come with it. Um, the pastoral industry, like Northern Australia, is a really challenging environment arguably one of the most challenging environments in the world we've got so many different factors to consider um you know such a huge um, scale I think the average station size in the Pilbara is like is two hundred and fifty thousand hectares I'm pretty sure it's like the average station size mm. and you know that that go that shines through to the Kimberleys and the Gascoyne and you know so that's just in WA. This is a this is a large land mass size. There's a lot of animals, um, and we've got a lot of challenges. But I think that we, if we keep working as an industry, like keep working together as an industry, and we talk to each other, um, and we start implementing these welfare programs, and it's not as if we can start doing it now. It's not going to be really scary when it later on we can just go look this is just a way of checking ourselves like am I doing the best that I can that I can be doing and, and if I can do better then how and that's when you can start talking to others and just make it something that is the norm basically yeah yeah,
0: yeah. there shouldn't be a, a a separate conversation it should be just part of what we're doing
1: yeah already do you think that enough people are coming on board do you feel like that
0: you're having this conversation with more and more
1: of your peers, yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. I think this the whole the welfare and social licensing side of things. It's it's one of it's one of those things that it just depends who you talk to. But some people are like, it you know it can be it's a really scary topic for them. It's just they're thinking, mm-hmm. oh, the activists are gonna take over. But but I but think that
0: the activists too are are very well funded, and so their voice carries carries quite Mm. far even though
1: yeah yeah and it does we're
0: just not as we're just not as good as getting on our on our microphones
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah um you know and there are some other um you know organizations that like the livestock collective they've started you know they're actually putting our stories out there because it's there's the activists are putting out some bad footage and then there's always a knee-jerk reaction of some sort but if we can just keep the information, the information flowing out and keep being transparent. And Because it's easy once that footage comes out and you go, well, that's not what I do, but I, I don't want people coming onto my property because I don't know, you know, where they're coming from. So well, it's, it yeah, can it's a be a security a, a, risk,
0: you know, yeah. as well as anything else.
1: Yeah. So um, I think if we just keep these communication lines open and just start, and as an industry, we work together of of, cre- of putting together these welfare checkpoints because if we don't do it, then eventually someone's going to do it for us, and it could hamstring us. Like a, that, you know, these regulations could be so strict that it's just not realistic. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, especially for this for Northern Australia, I think it's really important um, that we just start putting our heads together. And um, there's been there's you know there has been a lot of talk about it, and there are um, you know, some you know there are drafts of welfare programs out at, you know out and about the place, but we're just getting to a point now where you know if say if at Yarran yeah. we can get together some key welfare checkpoints to do with mustering yard work and trucking, mm-hmm. and then we start putting into place, then at least we can show that it's possible. Because mm-hmm. um, I think I think a part of it is that it does seem a little bit overwhelming. Um, but you know we've got to start somewhere
0: well and i think it's quite a, it's quite a easy one to put in the too hard basket and just hope that someone else takes the initiative and runs mm-hmm. with it so yeah. yeah i i can completely understand everything all the points that you've made (laughs) now I do want to switch um, change tack a little bit and just go back to your experience your personal experience of the Pilbara Um, Mm -hmm. you know it must have been coming from somewhere we're just talking um, just before this interview about how it takes two and a half hours to get to town like you're in town today so that's a two and a half hour trip and you could go almost the other side of New Zealand in the same amount of time so <laughs> it, it must have been a very well you tell me whether it's an overwhelming experience when you first arrived in this environment.
1: So the drive up from Perth to here it took a long time for the landscape to change you know it's mm. you kind of you do gradually get into the Pilbara and I guess once you're once you're there, you just yeah, you like you kind of go right. Um, I, I know that t- yeah, town's kind of that way, and it's not that close. And oh, if I want to go to the pub, it's an hour and a bit drive and seventy k's on gravel. So <laughs> <Am I laughs> you that do committed? just <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and um, you kind of yeah, you do. You just kind of end up out there. But what what got me was that as soon as I got to the homestead, there was like. 15 people there because it was like the Easter weekend and I got there and I was like oh my gosh there's so many people here and but in everyone it's the thing that I'd have to say the number one thing about the Pilbara is that the people are amazing it's such a small community for such a huge land mass that everybody is just amazing so welcoming and um you know it's if it were, yeah, The place is really, really beautiful, but the people are even more beautiful.
0: Well, I've just been reading, you have written online. It turns out you're a bit of a poet too, Lydia. Um, <laughs> but I've been reading a, a few of your works online, but you also have been quite open with some of the more personal challenges when working on some of these more isolated places, in particular mm-hmm. your experience with anxiety and in relation to drought and just that real feeling of overwhelming Um, you're quite funny actually in some of it though you know the isolated (laughs) but connected spacious but no room for egos I really like that (laughs) Um, which goes back to I guess what we started talking about but um, if you don't mind can we talk just talk a little bit about that because you know drought and the extremes of our environment can Mm. play on people's minds much more than we realise
1: yeah definitely We are getting to like a day and age where talking about mental health is totally normal, but it's actually like even writing that, writing that blog, it was quite liberating. But then to actually submit it, (laughs) I was like, oh God, I'm actually exposing myself here. It's not a letter
0: that you just, you've written to someone you're angry at and then thrown away. It's something yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know? And I was just like, well, no, I've written this and I'm happy with it. And if this, if this blog can help one person then that is cool like and but it you know it even helped me writing it and and if someone thinks I'm weird then that's cool too. I was gonna say what's
0: the feedback (laughs) been like because um you know for anyone listening we're talking about Lydia's um poem and experience with a very raw insight into her experience with anxiety it's on centralstation.net.au I even love the title take a chill pill burrow I like like that but you know what did you did you get much feedback it's quite a well-known site
1: yeah yeah so I did I did get a lot of feedback um and it was all very very positive um and it was just you know people were messaging me just saying I'm just so pleased you know that you wrote that it's just it's so great to read your experience and I think I think people were were got a lot out of realizing that I've gone through these feelings and these emotions and I've been in challenging places mentally and and like you know challenging environments too and people just really related to that um and it was it was a really I got really positive responses and it was really
0: humbling well I think too you know you've spoken about the community where you are and this wonderful workplace and terrific business that you're part of and that you know that's wonderful and you're very lucky but still sometimes um you know these things happen and you are in an isolated place so what's the you know what could you give some advice I guess to people who may feel like you know when you, you, you're putting your hand up in these tiny communities and sometimes that's, you know, that's, that's very brave, but it's, um, it can be a big thing as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, actually from this, from that blog, I I did get a couple of people come and speak to me and ask, you know, how have I dealt with it being in this environment? Um, and the first thing I, I usually say to people is I'm like, are you aware of how you talk to yourself? Because we get so, we're so hard on ourselves when we're not all honky dory. Where you go, oh, we sh- I should, you know, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be feeling like this. And um, you end up just falling into this, this loophole of just going, you just go, oh, I should be, I should be fine, like, I'm all right, what, you know, how could you feel this way and just you, it kind of you can get stuck in a way of talking to yourself. So the first thing I usually ask people is are you actually being kind to yourself because, you, you know, you are the one that have you have to be with yourself 24-7, you know, you have to sleep with yourself at night, you know, are you talking to yourself in a way that you would talk to somebody else because chances are you're not. Mm. Um, so and it's just, you know, just catch yourself when you are saying negative things and 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 start to I think being aware of that for a start is 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 a big step in the right direction Mm. you may not change it right then and there but at least you're aware of the words that you're using the way that you talk to yourself Mm. um so for me for me personally that's been um something that's really helped me Mm. and um yeah if when people do come to me I'm yeah. like it just you know you don't have to tell yourself that everything's fine mm. like if if you're if you're having a shit time acknowledge that you are yeah. but just be aware that you know it will pass and just to be kind to yourself in the to- and until it does yeah, um yeah. and that's usually my the first step that's and that. then we then we go on to other things and yeah just really check your 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 kids
0: space. Well I thought it was terrific and that's very very good advice. Now going <laughs> back to Yari yeah, I feel like I've just sort of yanked you out of that but you know. No that's okay. Uh, <laughs> but um, <laughs> going back to Yari you know there's a lot on your plate at the moment there's big cattle numbers you've started this beef brand um, and working at a few other logistic things. What's, yep. What gets you out of bed in the morning? What's your favorite, What's your favourite part of all of this dynamic business?
1: I just love being a part of it from the start to the finish. Mm. Literally from mustering the cattle in to processing them, putting them to all these different spots and then drafting them. Okay, these ones are okay, going to keep on Yari or Kungan. Um, we're going to you know breed from these and then going, oh, okay, these ones we want to... Um, we want for this market, so we'll put them in, you know, this holding paddock and then we'll truck them here on this date. And just basically just understanding it from the start to the finish, just literally from when you first see that animal out in the bush to then bringing it in, putting it in the yards, processing it, and then putting it back out to where it needs to be. And then having all of the records behind that animal, um, yeah, I just, I love the whole process of it all. And it's just, you know, just really understanding. It's, I feel like it's easy to kind of get by and just be like, yeah, yeah, um, like beef comes from farms. But it's actually just really understanding what goes behind getting that bit of meat on your plate. Because it's, you know, it's an incredible journey. Um, and even probably even more so up here because, you know, these cattle come from really, remote places and it's incredible to see where they live yeah and then it just it keeps my mind going just having you know making sure that we've got all of those records to follow each animal up and then we can do our reports at the end of the year and um you know just help helping the business reach its you know its goal and that's that's what gets me out of bed it's yeah just life on the land (laughs) you
0: mentioned a couple of times how much data that you use in your management practices yeah Do, people are collecting more producers are collecting more data are we using it till its
1: full potential I think we could um, definitely improve on it it's easy to collect data but then to actually use it is another another thing
0: so is that something that you've prioritized in your business
1: yeah so we use a really comprehensive um, software program to collect our data and that crash side stuff is fantastic we could record so many different things and and fairly easily um but getting those reports afterwards is the hard part um you know we're we're working with the software company to generate better reports but you know we're we're still exporting a lot of this information and putting it into excel and using our own um kind of summary systems but you know there's so much information in there and there's so much more that we could use but yeah, so definitely, it's it's been really crucial for this for our pastoral property, but also for um, our, our farm down south as well. It's you know, well, there's so much data there, but we could definitely utilise it more. Mm. Um, but we we're actually a part of another trial, and they are basically it's like we're looking into the effects on like how animals travel from pastoral properties to farms down south like and how we can better that process
0: what do you mean better it to make it shorter or like more comfortable what do you mean
1: um so how we can basically make it better on the animal okay Less stressful because they lose quite a lot of weight from it because that's Um, a massive trip (laughs) yeah yeah it's a huge trip so there's we're just looking into ways that we can just lessen the effects on the animal, okay. and so they're collecting all sorts of data as well. Um, so, but and they've they're starting this like scale process of like zero to a hundred of like how well your animal's been prepped for the journey. And mm-hmm. um, so that's everything from like how long has it be- Was it between it getting mustered and getting put on the truck? So like your zero would be literally getting mustered and then put on a truck, mm-hmm. and then your hundred would be. Uh, It's been mustered and it's been weaned and it's been tailed with low stress stock handling and it's, um, you know, it's been introduced to trucks and, you you know, it's been given this this process before it actually gets trucked down. Um, And just looking at the, you know, how animals perform, depending on that scale, like, do they... uh, Yeah, so that's like one side of it. But then the other side of it is actually making sure that everybody that's recording this data is on the same page. I was going to say consistency (laughs) is going to be key there. Yeah, yeah. So that's, I think, like, while this is a really cool trial and hopefully we get some good information from it, it's also going to be educating others about the importance of data collection and how you can actually utilize it. So that's like another side of it, like a side effect of this project, I suppose. So that'd be a cool one to be a part of. But I, th- I think about some of the stuff that we do, and I just I don't know, go, you know, I wouldn't expect every property to go into the depths that we do. Yeah. But um, then I think to myself, but why not? Like, why can't they?
0: Well, I guess you know, once that we if companies like you are are being involved, I guess it's encouraging others to do the same, or or at least to be, Getting information together to give, or at least make available for other people to use, so yeah, it's something.
1: Yeah, so it's um, yeah, it's it's been it's been really cool. I've actually the even though I've learned a lot more. I've 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 really learned to simplify it too, because mm. um, with my research background, you know, we've recorded all sorts of stuff and um, yeah, it's just like all of this really detailed information, and then being able to actually work on a on a pastoral property and just think of, I just I've just learned to think about data in a completely different way. It's been incredible. It's just it's absolutely changed the way that I think. Oh, and wow. um yeah, and just because it's like the numbers that we're dealing with, but it's like you can get all these all this information. You could be like, like I remember when I first got there, I'd like, yep, yeah, there was two hundred and thirty two animals in this mob and they had a daily average daily gain of uh 4 and the average weight was this, blah, blah, blah. And then I'd be asked a simple question of like, so how many heifers and steers are actually in there and like where can they go or something like there was like this overall management question. And I was like, uh, I don't know. Like, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so is that, some, is that something you can feed back to the, you know, the educators then, you know, being a little bit more practical with some yeah, of the information?
1: I mean- yeah, that's the thing. Like, I came from an academic world where, I, and I thought I was fairly practical, but then I got to actually work on a station, and I was like, oh my god! Like, I, I actually really need to up my ante here. Like, while it's amazing to be able to do graphs and collect data and and put it, you know, put it all into Excel and generate these reports and stuff it's like that. Pretty
0: spreadsheets.
1: Yeah, like you 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 still need to actually be like like not forget the other thing is like don't forget the numbers it's like you put these numbers together and you go oh yeah yeah that's really cool that looks pretty mm-hmm. but then you get asked a general question of like oh so how many animals do we actually put out to that paddock and how many total do we have in there at the moment and it's just like oh I just got so caught up with my spreadsheet I didn't <laughs> even <think> practically <laughs> um that's so, a little learning yeah. process too though isn't it? yeah and it's been it's been really cool to to be able to I kind of, I go in between details and big picture and it's it's really cool to be able to do it. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, look, Lydia, I um, I won't keep you too much longer. You've given plenty <laughs> of your time, but I have been asking everyone who's uh, visited us on this podcast, their favorite cut of beef to eat. We're talking, you know, beef, wheat, we're going to go and see all these delicious animals uh, up close, but I want to know, not your fancy dinner party cut, I want to know... What you would be delighted to eat on a on a Tuesday night?
1: Oh, that is such a hard question.
0: Do you do much There's cooking? So much. Actually with these, with the, being in one of the biggest stations, I'd imagine there'd be a camp cook.
1: Yeah, we do have a cook, yeah.
0: Do you get to cook much?
1: Um, no, we don't actually like during the mustering season we don't cook much at all, but over the summer we, we cook we cook a lot.
0: Okay, good. So um, what's what's on yeah. Tuesday
1: night? What's your pick? What do you go into the <laughs> dig
0: into the freezer oh. to get out?
1: If it was just a random Tuesday night, I'd be pulling out some sort of stewing meat and making a lovely curry. Or mm. if we if we'd had if we have enough tails, oxtail stew, oh, yeah. that would probably be like number one or osso bucco. Just osso yep. bucco. So you like the slow um, cooked?
0: You like the the long, the oh, stewy things?
1: So, so yeah. But if we've just done a killer, we quite often just like take off the skirt steak and eat that raw. That's beautiful.
0: Oh, skirt steak raw.
1: Mm, yeah it's lovely yeah we might put a bit of um seasoning on it some like vinegar or soy sauce like plenty of garlic and chili and just eat that and it's just unreal yeah there's there's so much that I love about it there's yeah
0: when you're doing these when you're building a brand like this like you guys have fairly recently has it been a bit of a team effort to sort of really do the testing on some of the cuts that you're putting together? Uh, Do you do a killer and then you all – because now I've just got this image in my head when you're talking about all sitting there eating raw skirt steak. (laughs) Is it (laughs) – we do killers too. Like I I get excited when we're cutting up a killer. But do you – has it been that sort of real testing, experimenting together?
1: Yeah, so basically um, Annabelle and – so Tim and Kaz, they've been – Huge with this outback beef stuff, Tim's actually a butcher by trade, mm-hmm. um, so now he's been him and his um, wife they've been really monumental in getting this this brand going. Mm-hmm. but I guess we kind of they had their set cuts that they were going to um, kind of like market, mm-hmm. but there's been definitely some like um, trialing processes of like trying it of, of sausages jerky um like marinated steak and uh we even tried doing our beef pies at one stage um still I think it's still in the pipeline but it's just like there's been a lot of experimenting when it comes to like um ramping it up a bit and putting flavors in but as far as the the cuts kind of go we we do have like we definitely um, sell the osso bucco. That's like huge for us. You know, we, we cook up that all the time. So make it make an effort of making sure that we sell that. Um, Stock camp ribs. Um, you know, that's oh, we love it when it's rib night. <laughs> so because <laughs> you're you know, all so human. The, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So you know, making sure that we sell that as well, and just like really decent sized roasts, some topside roasts, some rump roasts, Um, yeah, you know, and good sized t-bones. Like it's yeah, making sure we whatever we are selling, we try to simulate it to what we would actually eat as well. So yeah, there's definitely been that element of it.
0: And no, no well done steaks out there, I'd imagine
1: oh god no <laughs> and no sauce no sauce yeah
0: see goodness yeah. that is a rarity i have to say in um in some stock camps oh far out if you put if you put sauce on your steak you get told off by everybody <laughs> <laughs> but look it's been lovely to chat to you today lydia thank you so much for spending time with us
1: yeah no it's been my pleasure i've really enjoyed this chat thank you jane
0: Thanks for listening. You can hit subscribe to make sure you don't miss any of our episodes. And if you are enjoying listening to the show, we would appreciate a quick rating and review. Visit beefaustralia.com.au for more information on this great event.